You're quite hostile. I got a right to be hostile, man. My people been persecuted. No way, dude. If I had those, I'd, I'd wear them in public. So, no, because you couldn't walk in them. That's true. Yeah. Or maybe you could. Maybe you could bounce. You'd be like a moon man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, we were somewhere around Barstow, on the edge of the desert, when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, "I feel a bit lightheaded." Yeah, you should drive. Suddenly, there was a terrible roar all around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, Holy, Holy Jesus, Jesus, where are, are these goddamn, goddamn animals? animals? Good. 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 Olivia right. does call me the bubble, bubble boy. So. Does, yeah? Okay. <laughs> nice. So, all right, are we ready to talk about cleaning? I'm ready. So. All right, cool. So uh, here we are. This is uh, Here You Are, Wasa, and uh, I'm one of your hosts, Dino, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Eric. There you go. And we brought along two of our friends today, Brian Kowalski and Ben Lee, uh, because we wanted to talk about uh, an incredibly powerful and fascinating subject called tidying up. So, boys, it's it's really hit the... uh, the the news this week i I think really i became aware of this maybe last week um but you guys have been aware of this for a while i think ben said he read the book there's a book that he read a year ago so it's uh it's the cone marie method cone mari method so cone mari so uh brian why don't we just start off with you what the hell is this Sure, and I think I think Ben's uh, history with it goes back a little further than mine. But I actually I, I had heard I heard I'd heard about her for a while, but um, I recently watched the net the Netflix show tidying up with Marie Kondo, and it was pretty interesting to me for a couple of reasons. I have a lot of experience uh, with Japan. I've been there uh, three times. I lived there for a summer, and you know I know a lot of Japanese people, and I, I do speak some Japanese, although I've starting to forget it but it was interesting watching the show because she speaks in Japanese a lot so so I think there was uh, I think there was part of that as part of why it appealed to me and you know the other part about about her is that um, a lot of her techniques are rooted in the Shinto tradition which you know if you know anything about Japanese culture um, while while a lot of Japanese people wouldn't consider themselves religious per se um, Shinto traditions, such as saying itadakimasu before a meal, um, thanking you know essentially thanking a food before you eat it is is pretty common, and so there's things that Marie does in, in the show that um, that definitely harken back to that Shinto tradition that for Japanese people would probably seem pretty normal. I think for American people um, probably seems a little exotic, and that seems to be how people react to it on the show. But maybe I'll let I'll let Ben explain a little bit more about what it is. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and I, I, I looked into some of this, like, I guess you can say the heat that she's been getting here in America since launching this Netflix idea, um, and it, a lot of it comes from, um, like, so have you heard of the organization called NAPO? No. It's the National Association of like, of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Oh, dear fuck. And, like, yeah. So, I, uh, but, like, when I, I mean, that's a lot more than, like, when I started understanding what the, like, the Japanese art of tidying up was. So, I've always been, like, slightly obsessed with, like, Kyoto. And it, that started out as, like, a um, just trying to be a healthier person. And you can read a lot of studies on why people in Kyoto live so long and why just in, in general Japanese culture, people can will live longer than, than here in America. And I, I started um, finding similarities of just my, like the regular things that I value as a human being in a lot of what this book was talking about. And I, probably read the book a couple years ago at this point now um and i think at the time i read it it was like a 
a nothing burger kind of like it, it hadn't really taken off. I think it was just getting a lot of interest. And what I found was that like a lot of the ideologies were things that just like naturally made sense to me. Um, and I never looked at the book. A lot of people, I think, um, and I'm glad that Brian brought up like Shinto and like the idea of Kami, um, and all of those things, because I think that's lost language on, on Americans who are, who are criticizing, um, what Marie is trying to do, but I never looked at it as like, just get rid of your shit. Like, Oh, okay. I don't want to have so much stuff. So I'm going to toss it out. What I found was that through these steps, you could find yourself being a more productive human being and actually enjoying your life, which at the time of reading the book, I was very much trying to accomplish that. So for me, it didn't start out as this idea of like, oh, yeah, I want to declutter and get rid of my stuff. But I saw almost immediately like, hey, this is a book about productivity and a book about appreciating the things that you enjoy. So I didn't really get on board with all this like idea of like rolling your T-shirts or things like that until probably like a year ago when I started to kind of see that the phenomenon was kind of taking off. And, and then of course with that came all the bad press that rolling roll. What do you mean by rolling your t-shirts? Oh, just like this. So that's like an example of one of the things you can do to save space in your house is roll your t-shirts instead of hanging them or instead of, Hmm. um, folding them in a square. If you roll them, it's more space sufficient. And I think, that's all fine and dandy, but I never got on board with a lot of that. Like I hang all my stuff, you know, like, so I don't have, but it get, it kind of like, so uh, I guess maybe a way to easier explain it. And, and maybe Brian has these same thoughts. It's like, I grew up in a house where like you had a dresser and you put all your shit in your dresser and eventually your dresser drawers were like, overflowing with hand-me-downs or whatever and like you kept everything from everyone you never got rid of stuff um because maybe that was grandma's or maybe that was grandpa's or you know whatever the case was but like i grew up with like probably more shit in our house than what we needed and so at the time that i read the book i was very much looking to just simplify my life that's that's the essence of what I was trying to do. Yeah, and I think I think Ben, I think I had a similar uh, take on that. In that, I think I've always sort of geared toward minimalism to an extent, like you know. And I think I think there's a general generation aspect to this, uh, generational aspect to this. When uh, you know, you probably experience this too when older folks uh, want to give you all their old stuff, and they just assume that you want it. Yeah. without uh right without you know considering that maybe you just don't want all this clutter like it's just assumed that yeah I'm of course more things well, why would I say no to more things you know and there isn't that consideration of the 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 actual space there's there's a there's a spatial cost to everything you take into your into your home and so I think one of the reasons that that Marie Kondo appealed to me well, for a lot of reasons but you know one is that it's it's really about just making space for the things that are really important to you and that it's, it's interesting that your, your take on it is really is really spot on i think because it, it seems like a lot of the backlash to me to her has been kind of misreading her you know like i've seen i saw this funny video about like this guy made this like rap video about being marie kondoed and then his wife was basically throwing out all his stuff i'm like well that's not really what she tells you to do you know she really tells each person to go through all of their items themselves and decide what's important to them um, and th- so that was a humorous take, but a lot of the takes, you know, obviously weren't so humorous and were pretty, pretty angry in tone. Um, you know, so I'm, I follow a lot of authors and so I, I follow a lot of book people and a lot of the book people were like, what, 30 books, how dare you? I was like, well, I think Marie is pretty clear, um, that if you really want to have more than 30 books and that's, what's important to you, that's fine. You know, and she says throughout the show, and I really, I really do want to read her book because I, I think it would be important too. But from what I've seen in the show, she's really clear. I'm, I'm not telling you to throw anything out. Like what I'm telling you to do is look through each item and decide if it's important to you or not. Maybe, maybe 99 of the hundred things that you go through is important. That's fine. 
Um, I think I think what I've found going through the process in the last three weeks, however, is that uh, I find I find a lot lot fewer things that that are important to me than than I might have thought, especially with my clothing. I I, I actually got rid of quite a bit of clothing. All right, so I I'd like to <clears throat> jump in here because I've I've got just a couple of sort of questions. So, mm-hmm. Brian, I'm not just because I don't even know. Do you live alone, or do you have people in the house with you? I do. I, I live by myself. Okay. All right. Cool. So when um so when you when you took on the process, what what is I mean it I I was looking at the website and there's obviously a, a rather clearly defined process. But can you can you talk a little bit about that and then Ben you can jump in. Sure. Um. So she she basically has you instead of going room by room, she has you go by category. So so you start with clothing. And so every episode of the TV show really focuses on the clothing. Like this is the first thing you do. So what you do is you take you take all your clothing and the entire house and you put it in one big pile. And then you go through each each individual item and you're, you're supposed to hold it up and decide if it sparks joy for you or not. And so if it sparks joy, you keep it. If it doesn't, then you then then you thank it for its service and then you send it on its way, whether that be goodwill or you know if it's for for me i had some clothing that i probably just hung on too long and i ended up just trashing them um and so you do the same thing with books and then uh com- uh papers and then a category called comono which is sort of miscellaneous so that can mean um that can mean uh, uh your kitchen stuff your your uh, bathroom stuff and your garage and then last and final is uh, sentimental items. And so I think the idea is that because those are the hardest, you save those for last. So I'm in the middle of books. Books proved a, a pretty big challenge for me because I really love books. And just unlike clothing, I, I got rid of, of very little, uh, very little of my books. Um, a lot of and a lot of the ones I did get rid of are more like, there, you know, I designated them for somebody. Oh, I know, I know someone that would like this, so I'm going to give it to that person. Um, so that was an interesting thing for me to realize when I, you know, going through clothing. Even even though I had done sort of a clothing a clothing audit, so to speak, only a few months ago, I still found myself getting rid of a lot more stuff just because I had it in one big pile. So um, yeah, it's been a really interesting process. I'd be curious to hear Ben's take as well. Um, yeah. So just naturally like I don't have a ton of stuff anyways um so when we first started the process like it wasn't it wasn't that hard for me because I guess I've never really attached to like things um so but I did know that I, I felt like I had too much stuff so like I started with clothes, just like it, just like it says, start with clothes. And that's where probably I had the most work to do because like I had lost a ton of weight, but I had kept, I had been keeping all the clothes that like I used to have to wear for my old business professional job and like things like that. But like they didn't even fit anymore. Like, and so I didn't know why I was even keeping them, you know? So like it started with that and that was fairly easy to me. Um, I will be honest. I skipped books. And there's just no way I'm ever throwing my books out. Like, and I think that's kind of where it comes in to like, um, you have to decide what's valuable. The reason we don't throw books out is because we write notes to each other in our books. So when you gift a book to somebody in our family, um, we write a note on the inside, on the inside cover to that book. Um, and typically we only buy books that we know we want. And then we'll lend out our books to people and we recommend they write letters back to us, you know, letting us know if they enjoyed it, whatever the case is. But when we buy books for the boys, we also write letters to them. Um, And some of my wife's most cherished mementos are her, the letters that her great grandfather wrote to our children or that her grandfather wrote to our children that are still in the books that they read today. And, and now that he's, he's been gone for two years, um, that's a big deal for us. So like, that was one where I was just like, no, I'm not like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw my books out. Like. Uh, we're pretty avid library fans too. So like we do, we'll do a lot of reading and and returning before we decide to buy a book. But I think like that's still the, the kind of cone Marie method is like, 
we just stop buying books sight unseen. We don't do that anymore. We just don't go, oh, this book looks good and we buy it. We'll go rent, we'll go rent it and we'll read it. And then if we decide we really love it, we'll we might buy it. Um, but Ben, I think we're gonna be really good friends because I, I think we have very similar views on books. And yeah. I really I really <laughs> love that tradition, by the way. Yeah, and, and it's and it was one that my wife introduced to me. So like it was a whole new take on like what a piece of literature means. And now that we're both pursuing our degrees in literature and creative writing, like it's just, that's something that does spark a lot of joy in our life. So it's just something that we pass over. Um, but yeah. then as far as, go ahead. Yeah. So I, you know, as someone who has a degree in literature and creative writing, I, when I read that, and I and I like I said, I only have sort of the most basic cursory knowledge of of this from spending some time with the website. Um, but you know, over the years, I I have what I can well what I know are two sizable collections. So I have obviously I have a, an absurd collection of music, um, and then I have as an English major, I think I have every book I've bought since freshman year of college including all of you know the absurd anthologies that college english majors used to get and so it uh it it becomes this you know sort of thing where I'm, i was like wow getting rid of books and then i'm like yeah i don't care it's okay let's get rid of some books and then you know it was it's always been that struggle of having you know like do i need a bookshelf do i really want a bookshelf can't i just put it all on my kindle you know, and so does that does that discussion happen? Like, does she broach the idea of electronic stuff? Oh, I've seen it come up many times. There's been since this Netflix show has been so popular, there's been a lot of Marie condoing your apps. Yes. You know, headlines to that effect. And from what I've what from what I've seen, that's it's not very successful. Well, that that. Marie condoing your apps, Ben. I just think that's an obvious thing you'd want to talk about. Because I <laughs> yeah, think because I think, I think we, you've I think condoed the three of us have actually done a pondo uh, a podcast about that, haven't we? I, yeah, we did talk about that once. So I did do that. My apps are I have like my home like so the front the front screen of my phone is nothing. It's just blank, and then there's they're subfoldered into like social media or um, uh, basically like my most used apps are in one folder, which is like this website that I'm a frequenter on, Medium, my Apple News, my podcast app, and then my photo and my weather app. And then every other app that isn't, um, so I only, I only use Facebook, unfortunately, and then Instagram too. Um, every other app that isn't, social media goes into this like garbage folder that never gets updated. <laughs> Nothing ever happens to it. So yeah, I did that too. And, um, I think there's value to that, but like, again, I would pass over doing that to my books because like, I, I just don't, I don't feel good holding a Kindle when I read a book. Um, and if, if my dad comes over, my mom comes over and or our friends come over, I don't feel it doesn't spark a conversation to be like, Hey, want to see what's on my Kindle. But when they can look at my bookshelf and they can see the books we're reading, not only do they kind of get like a peek into what we're trying to learn about at the present moment, but sometimes it sparks a conversation of like, Hey, can I borrow this book or, you know, I've borrowed lots of books out to lots of different people, and usually those happen from them like seeing them. You know, and if it's on my Kindle tucked away in my in my backpack, then like nobody ever gets a chance to to experience that. So, yeah, for me, books uh, books really kind of ventured off from the KonMari method. So for me, yeah, because I I also got rid of very few books, and actually probably the the thing I got rid of the most was I had these giant like phone book comic books from Japan that I know my friend my friend uh, Lisa who is a librarian in Portage County started a, started a manga club and I thought I thought it'd be more use it would get more use if I give it to her but for me um, you know the books were less about getting rid of them than than organizing them 
And so, so I kind of organized them into books that I either have collected during my English major days or, or post English major days and uh, wanted to read again or books or, or books that I wanted to read again, I should say. So, so I guess for me, for me, I had to, the organization looked a little differently than it did with Cone Maria, though I did still put them all in a, a single, a single room in a single pile. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's sort of the, the joy of, of, the KonMari method, the benefit is that you can kind of mold it to your, to your, to your likes or dislikes or to your own particular style. The one thing that I'm always confused on with her method, and maybe it goes into this more in the books, um, Ben, maybe you can answer this. But uh, where where I struggled with is like, well, what about all those items that don't necessarily spark joy, but you just kind of need them? You know, there's a lot of utility. We own a lot of utilitarian th- type type things. Like, you know, I'm not particularly you know, my, my toothbrush doesn't particularly spark joy for me, but I still need it. I still need to brush my teeth every day, you know? So, uh, and I think about things like that and then, you know, but you can say, well, you just make exceptions for the utility items. But the problem with that is that, well, that starts to become an exception that you could, you could apply to a lot of different things. And then that's where, that's where I think it gets a little sticky. Yeah. So differ from minimalism. I mean, we talked about minimalism before. How how are these two methodologies different? It's so okay. It uh, okay. So essentially, <laughs> I personally I think minimalism kind of kind of blooms out of what what Marie Kondo is talking about. Um, and I think the root of that is Japanese culture. It's the Shinto culture. It's Zen Buddhism where, um, you're kind of getting rid of or moving aside the obstructions in your life. So it's not that different. It's, um, minimalism. If you like went out and like searched minimalism, you'll find a lot of aesthetic stuff about minimalism. And a lot of it comes from like Japanese design. Um, so it's not that different, but I think minimalism, the term, especially when you think of the minimalists, the two guys who started that whole kind of minimalism thing, um, I think was just easier for Americans to grasp. Um, and Brian touched on it a little bit when he talked about some of the weird quirky things that Marie Kondo does, but those are things that are deeply rooted in, in her time, um, working, um, kind of closely in, I don't want to call Shinto like a religion, but working closely in that Shinto culture. Um, the, the things that she does, like when she asks you to pick something up and, and feel it and hold it, the reason she does that is because they believe in, in Kami which means like all your pa- all your past ancestors take up space in nature. So you should touch everything and see if it brings you joy that there's there's almost like a deity in everything. Um, so those little quirks like that that I think are like misinterpreted here in America, um, those don't necessarily exist in minimalism. Um, and quite frankly, uh, personally, I felt like Marie Kondo's book was much more impactful for me than, than the idea of like the minimalist, just because the minimalist can get kind of flashy. Um, I would, I would also disagree a little bit to that because I would, you know, I'm just throwing out a number, but Dino probably has 138 pens, mm-hmm. right? he doesn't believe that his ancestors are in all of those pens, but if he goes through them and picks oh, them up on. one by one, he's, you know, there's, there's a tactile sense. So, okay. you right. know, you sure. talk about, are yeah, you, so, are you talking to somebody else? Do you oh, know no, what's going no, on? No, no, no. I, I'd like okay. to address the 138 <laughs> pens because <laughs> right. it becomes, you know, since I have very little to offer this discussion, I'm going to tell my pen bit and then I'm going to ask Brian about Shinto. But, <laughs> In defense of me, I do have, I have had quite a few pens over the years, but I have also given away 90% of them and replaced most of them with uh, Pat Peckham created pens. Now, the reason for this is 
Um, when I was a boy, oh, this is so fucking far off. But when I was a boy, when Jimmy Carter and the leaders of Israel and Palestine signed the, the Mideast Peace Accords, there was a big discussion by the news commentator about how the pens were given to each person of interest and they were they became historic. And then over time, I learned more about how these pens were passed down from person to person. Like you can go online and you can go to museums and you can see these pens. So at some point, Pat told me he had started to make pens. And I'm like, well, there it is. I'm going to buy three pens from Pat and I'm going to hand them to Sophie when I die. And so, yes. See, but but you say that's far off and that's not really, that's very similar to what Ben was just talking about, oh, right? Okay. You, the ancestors may not be there, but there's a sense of there's just something more. Right. To oh it yeah. Yeah. Like to, just to, the fact to that Ben's it's a good thing. looking pen. Right. So to Ben's mm. thing, you know, like when my father passed, it, he was he was rather minimalist or just kind of fuddy duddy in his his style and the things that he carried. But I I took his comb. The you know he had the same comb my entire life. And for whatever reason, I thought I, I want the comb. I've never used the comb for my hair, but you know, I've also never gotten rid of the comb. So I guess that's, you know, like if I sat down and did the piles, you know, I could, I would hold up my dad's comb and I would go, yeah, that sparks joy or it sparks something. So, but now that I've had my vanity moment here, Brian, could you, could you talk a little bit about, um, this the the concept of of that we keep coming back to with uh, Shinto. Yeah, uh, so Shinto Shinto is a religion. I think Ben kind of touched on this. There's sort of the belief that uh, everything has a spirit. And what's interesting about religion in Japan in general and Shinto in particular is that um, most most people, if you talk to most people in Japan, they wouldn't say that they're a religion or they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I'm a Buddhist or, oh, yeah, I'm a, a Shinto person or whatever. You know, they're, they're, but they have the, all these little rituals um, that are part of their culture. Uh, so I mentioned like um, at the beginning of a meal, you would say, uh, wait, no, I just oh my God, I lost the word. I just said at the beginning of the podcast. But at the end of the meal, you say "Kochi so samadeshta," and you're thanking the spirit, you know, the spirits for the meal. Um, there's certain ways you enter and leave houses. Um, so a lot of these things are part of Japanese life, but um, they're not, you know, they're not religious in the way that Americans will think about them. So when they, you know, when you when so when people like I've I've, I've enjoyed sort of watching how people react to uh, Marie on the show when she, you know, like, thanks their house in the beginning. And to them, it's like this really cool, exotic thing. And I'm sure the husbands are kind of rolling their eyes, at least internally, about, like, what, what is this lady doing? But um, but for, you know, for Japanese people, I think that stuff's pretty commonplace. And they kind of, do, I think, they kind of do it without really giving it a lot of thought. Now, there are exceptions, of course. There are, there are Shinto shrines, and there are people that work at those shrines, and priests, and so on. Um, but that's a pretty small minority. It's not like people are going to a Shinto a shrine every Sunday or something, you know, it's, it's just, religion has a very different connotation in Japan from what I've ob- observed and, and read and learned. Does yeah, that kind of an- answer your question? Do you know? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it seems to be, you know, having only been to Japan two or three times it, uh, I never experienced at all that part of Japanese culture, but I was, in ridiculously intense urban areas. So for whatever reason, Japan, I assume like it, it can be to, to many sort of short time tourists or whatever. Uh, it's, it just is culturally overwhelming. So, I mean, Mm people, people could have literally been wearing, you know, uh, ashes on their foreheads, like Catholics during Lent. And I honestly just wouldn't have noticed because there was too much stimulation. And so I wasn't able to, to my my young brain wasn't able to sort of slow down and catch any individual thing it was just it was like a it was like a ferris wheel and i never caught on yeah my first my first time to japan it was severely overwhelming i was i i thought i was prepared and i absolutely was not yeah the only thing i can the, the only sort of other time i was nearly as over or i was more overwhelmed was in india 
And that was just a question of, I mean, the amount of human beings and the amount of things that accompany human beings like, you know, smells. And so all of that was was more overwhelming because it was far more physical, whereas I just thought Japan was visually overwhelming, just simply visually. And so I, you know, I have no idea what I experienced, but at the same time, it was awesome. So. It is a pretty cool place, and it can be overwhelming. So it, what, what always struck me about Japan is how you can have this crazy busyness, and then in one more a pocket a little further over, you can have this this place of stillness. And in fact, I remember, um, I'm trying to think of where I was in, um, one, of, one of the parts of Tokyo, I was walking along all these skyscrapers and all of a sudden like the skyscrapers ended and there was this, this shrine, you know, this little, this little patch of, uh, of rural, rural land, you know, right in the middle of almost like a park, but it was, it was the Shinto shrine. It was really cool. And, uh, I I found that to be the case and especially with, you know, I've had a lot of experience staying with Japanese people in their homes. And I think, I think that's when you start to see some of these things pop up, but it's really subtle and, you know, they don't make a big show of it. And I, a lot of them don't really even think about it that much until you point it out. And then they kind of explain it to you a little more, I think. Yeah, and I think it's important to, like, that's that's where you'll hear most of the criticism when it comes to what she's doing. It, it's, it's kind of her weird little antics um, when she walks into someone's house. But, like... It's important to remember that she she actually worked as a maiden in a Shinto shrine before she wrote her book. So I think when she comes in, oh, and she okay, hold, the, hold on. What what yeah. the hell is that? <laughs> Essentially, she's an assistant, um, and what she's doing is getting the shrine ready for. I I, I don't know what their word for it would be, but um, it's not it's not worship. But she's getting the shrine ready. She's ensuring that when people come in and they do try to um, have an experience with Kami, that they're able to. So she's not running the shrine, um, but she's an assistant to the typically what is a male that is running the shrine. Um, and all of these things that like – so I haven't seen her – actually, I haven't watched any of her episodes, but she writes about – in her book, she writes about how when she walks in, um, when she would walk into a Shinto, when she would walk under the gates of that Shinto, she treats that very much the same way as she's walking into someone's house because she looks at that as a sacred place. Um, and you're being let in and welcomed into this private and sacred place where private and sacred things happen. Um, and I think a lot of that gets lost here in America and, you know, and, and instead, like what I've at least read are the people who are combating that are like, well, you know, she doesn't have ultra sticky post-it notes to label things or she doesn't have this or she doesn't have that. Um, and she's just doing things a different way. I don't think Eric had mentioned a, a, a minute ago, like, Hey, I don't, you know, you don't necessarily believe that there's a spirit in the pen. And I absolutely don't believe that. I believe that as little as I believe in, in what Americans view of Christianity is, but like it, that's, that's her reasoning behind it though. And what I always found in Marie Kondo criticism was that people were trying to appropriate her culture, which is not nothing new here in America. Like that's something that we do. Um, but I think it helps when you kind of start to understand that the belief in Shinto, the belief in Kami, you understand why she talks to clothes, why she taps things awake, like why when she grabs something, she taps it awake or why she treats plants the way she treats them. Um, and Brian's right. Like there's not any like I don't want to say there's not anyone in Japan who's going to say, oh, yeah, we're not Shintoists, but they they have those those common threads um because it is a hard thing to explain you know to somebody who who doesn't care to learn about it so you know one of the things i find refreshing about her too is that you sort of get the sense she's not really trying to sell you anything you know you would you would presume that someone someone who is to the point where they have a netflix show is probably like oh i've got 
and I, I have these specially designed cone Mari um, boxes, and I have these, you know, these special orga- branded organizers and things I'm selling. And really, she's just, uh, you know, besides selling the book and getting one of you to watch her Netflix show, which, you know, if you already have Netflix, you're not necessarily spending any more to watch the show. Um, I kind of like that she's really just sort of perpetuating this idea, and beyond that isn't really from what I can see, isn't really, isn't really trying to like sell you a product. Yeah. And that's like spot on because she, I was reading an article where these, these women of Napo were, were kind of like criticizing the way she does things. Um, and her response, the journalist reached out to her and, and her response was maybe whatever their method is, is better for you. And maybe <laughs> you should try it. And like, but it was, she wasn't selling anything. She was just like, yeah, sure. Like my method, and I loved her branding in this, but she's like, my method doesn't spark joy for everybody. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, maybe you do need the clear rubber made three drawer container to keep all of your journals in or whatever the case is. She's like, maybe you need that. Maybe that's something you need. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. And that that kind of sold me on her. Like I was like, yeah, she's not. She's just trying to help me live my best life. And I, I like. Go ahead. Yeah, I was say I liked I liked that. What I liked about her show too is that, you know, in contrast with something like like Hoarders, I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with the premise. You know, or a lot of these other reality shows where they're trying to create some sort of extreme environment. Her show is like her show is pretty sedate. I mean. You know, of the of the eight or nine episodes or whatever it was, I, I think only two like had, you know, real like overly cluttered homes, like homes that you were like, whoa, that's that's gotten pretty bad. Most of them looked like pretty typical American homes, you know, just just a little overstuffed with things. Um, so so I kind of like that aspect that she wasn't trying to, you know, it's like she wasn't trying to do the the typical reality show gimmick where it's like, oh, let's find the like the very the very worst hoarders and we'll make them, you know, make this extreme makeover. It was more like uh, a little bit of a makeover. <laughs> and I did, I did want to revisit. So you asked like, what do we do about these utility things? And in her book, what she actually suggests is that you ask yourself, is this something that I would have to repurchase in 90 days? Uh. Um, and because we all have those things that we, you know, that maybe we don't want laying around, but like, I can't throw my screwdriver out every time I'm done using it and go buy a new one. Um, so she says, you know, ask yourself, is this something that you'll have to rebuy or that's a good, yeah. So that's, and that's kind of how I approach some of those things. Like if I come across like a random charger or whatever, you know, I'll be like, okay, Yes, I still have use for this Apple charger. Am I going to use it in the next 90 days? Probably because I'm going to lose my other two, you right. know, or whatever whatever the case is. So, yeah, that was one of the things that kind of got left off of the TV show and it, that was that you know, interesting interestingly enough, like I don't I, they hardly ever touched on books. Like they, they usually the show would the the person would go through um they always went through their clothes sometimes they would skip to papers. Sometimes they would skip to sentimental items or usually the garage was, was an issue. Or, um, there was one, there was one guy that had like, like he had more, he had more pairs of sneakers than Dino has pens apparently, but not by much, but it was like, you know, he had hundred, like almost 200 pairs of shoes. The guy was just, just loved collecting shoes. Um, but they, I'm, they, I'm pretty sure Dino has more pens than that. Maybe Dino has more pens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but it was it was interesting that there were some of those aspects that were passed over and books was one of them. And that, that actually surprised me because when I got to books, I found it I found it to be probably the most challenging so far. And also probably where I kind of I kind of veered off, like I, I actually made a few categories, you know, books I'm going to because then once I sorted my books, um, I have more book I still have more keeping books than books than bookshelf space. So then I had to make some decisions about well what books are going to get kind of put away a little bit and maybe they will uh, they will find a shelf someday and then what books you know do I want it displayed in my in my living room so when people come over they they see what books either I I value and have read or maybe what books that are on my to be read list but uh, yeah it was interesting compare I I really do want to read the book because I'm I'm interesting to compare 
the book to the to the TV show and find out what things maybe I missed. But what I like about her method, even just from watching the TV show, you can pretty much go just start it. Like, like you know, and that, that goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, not needing like specially branded things or, you know, you don't have to buy her like 10 week tidying your house program or something like that. It's just she kind of just gives it to you. Yeah. You know, here's 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 what you do. And I think that almost makes me want to go out and buy her book more because she was willing to do that. Yeah. And like what I so I think we've all probably been guilty of like buying um uh, like Rubbermaid bins or these new organizing devices, whether it's like a desk organizer or whatever. And and uh, what I got out of her book, like obviously she didn't say it like this because she's much more delicate and eloquent than I am. But I got out of her book, like let's stop just shifting shit around our houses and actually do something with it. Which yeah. is kind of the whole idea of that Yodo method, which is, you know, you only declutter once. Um, and one of the, I mean, I think it's like within the first 20 pages of her book, she says, now take all your stuff and throw it away. These things that you decide that you don't want to keep, throw it away. And I remember when the book came out, there was kind of an uproar about that, like a little bit. People were like, well, now we're just filling land landfills. And, um, but she goes on to say in the book, like, if you don't throw it away, what are you going to do with it? And, and she was dead on, at least for me, Mm -hmm. I put it in a garbage bag. I put it in the bottom of my closet because I intend to put it in the trunk of my car and then drop it off at a Goodwill. Never gets to my trunk. It never gets to Goodwill. And it sits at the (laughs) bottom of my closet forever. So she's like, why do all of that when we can just be honest with ourselves and know that we're not going to do that and just go to your garbage and throw it away? Yeah, that's the real strength of the program, because, you know, otherwise in a typical cleaning scenario, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to clean I'm going to clean this this utility room today. And then you come across, you know, maybe maybe six or seven or maybe more items that you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know what to do with this. I kind of don't want to throw it out. Um, I, I don't know if I have a use for it. Well, I'm just going to go put it in this other room for now. And then, like you said, yeah, you just end up shifting things around your house. So you never really get rid of it. So what I like about the KonMari method is that she really forces you. You're, here's your here's the category. Here's all your clothes. You have to deal with all these clothes. There's no there's no getting around it. Like you're going to deal with it. So, in sort of in closing, let me ask you to this question. Mm-hmm. Is this a fad? Like a lot of these things are. Feng Shui, for instance, comes to mind. You know, there's a certain group of folks that still drive that, but it's not mainstream like this is right now. What um, do you think? I I can only speak for myself, but I don't think so. Um, I think we have a really big problem with consumerism in America. Um, and I think we do that for a multitude of reasons. And that's a whole nother podcast to talk about why do we buy shit we don't need. But um, I can say I started doing this three or four years ago. If her book came out in like 2014, I think, I probably started doing this in like 2015, maybe 2016. And I can't, I wish I would have done it when I was 10. The the money I've wasted on stupid shit that ends up not working or the time I wasted working to buy stupid shit that I didn't need when I could have been playing music or I could have been out in the woods or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, I wish I could get that time back, but like knowing how productive I am now, um, versus how productive I was five years ago, there's just no way I could ever go back to having a house full of shit. And like you only get better every year as you practice it. Like this year I was a lot better at telling my family not to buy us a bunch of garbage for Christmas. Like obviously I say it in better terms than that. But, we, you know, I was a lot better at saying we want to get our kids experiences. 
So we got things like airline gift cards and um, gift cards to Disney for my oldest son and things like that, that they can go and experience and things aren't cluttering up our house then. Um, so I don't, I, at least for me, once I got into it and realized like how awesome it felt to have all this time on my hands and like kind of forced to sit in my boredom and figure out what it was that I valued and what I didn't value. Um, it, it became habitual to me and, and I love it. Like I probably would have never started running. I would have never started working out. I would have never picked up my guitar again, you know? Um, so I can't say enough about the program or her method, whatever you want to call it, but I hope it sticks around forever. And I really hope that a, a, a larger swath of people in this country grasp it yeah i would say i would say you know one of the reasons i think it'll have a little more staying power than feng shui is i feel like there's a little more a little more function to it um i think it's something that even if you know even even though yeah there's been this backlash to the the, the more shinto aspects of the komari method i think it's i think it's really valuable and so so one of my friends and fellow writers, uh, Gina Cornell, who who is going to be working on a story with me uh, for City Pages in our Abode series, uh, so she's been doing this method too, and so so I'm I'm really geared toward financial independence, and so I have a really high savings rate, um, and part of that goes into minimalism and not spending a lot in the first place, and I've I've been working with her on her budget. And what was interesting is she said after going through the clothing part of the process, you know, she said, and this is someone who, you know, would, would really had kind of a, a mind towards spending, you know, she said she just lost her, she just lost her desire to spend money. Like she just doesn't want to buy new things anymore because she had gone through her closet and found all these, all this clothing with, uh, with tags still on them. You know, so she had bought them and never worn them. And I, I, I wasn't that bad for me. It was more of like getting, rid of things that were either worn or at, like like Ben mentioned actually had some stuff that was just too large for me that I had to that I had to get rid of but uh, so one of the things so I, I do I do think there's a bit of a surgence right now and I, I think that'll probably die down a little bit but I I do feel the the method is useful um, I spoke to a a, uh, a person who does like organizing in town who really likes uh, the Konmari method she doesn't use it exclusively but but borrows elements from it, and so I think uh, I think it, I think it will probably stick around in one form or another for a while. Nice. Do you know you want to add anything? Do you know? Are you still with us? I'm sorry, off, I was busy. Are you, off, are you off cleaning already? No, Do I was off counting pens. That's what he I was, was doing. Twenty minutes ago. I was no, no. I was I was seeing which of my Parker Jotters sparked joy. So, no, I you know it's. For, for me, it's fascinating because it, it uh, you know, there are some some sort of core beliefs for me that I think I can f I can find in just about everything. So, you know, like the the concept of mindfulness, you know, that's that's uh, that is obviously here. And that's obviously in the 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 method and the kind of the bigger set of ideas that she's talking about, you know, like, you know, and for me, uh just this week, uh, a friend signed an email, uh, and her signature was die empty. And, and it was, it was, you know, sort of love fully eat chicken. I don't know what the second one was. And then the third was die empty. And it was sort of a, a prescription for, you know, like the beginning, middle and end of your lives. And I thought, you know, dying empty is, is brilliant because it's that idea of, Look, I, I did it all. I, I made the choices and I and I chased my inspiration and my inspiration had nothing to do with the number of, of Volkswagen buses I have in my backyard. And it, it is that I always think it's that sort of balance point where, yes, the it's, it's fun to make fun of the pen obsession or, you know, or the amount of time I can spend thinking about luggage. But um at the same time, you know, those things don't take up any space. They're not, I'm not losing, you know, space and time because I'm thinking about or reading luggage blogs. You know, I'm, I'm not losing out on anything because of that. I'm choosing that. And I think 
that you know listening to you guys talk like there is this this idea of shinto and, and sort of this idea of of things being alive and, and touching them and activating them which is a whole other podcast i'd like to i'd like to sort yeah. of reserve the right to call you two back um but uh i i think it is sort of all about you know choosing our inspiration and making space for that like i i always love how ben describes that you know kind of we want our kids to have experiences and what's funny is my niece just went to florida for a week and it was that thing where like we we like i really defended the idea of her getting to florida and so it uh it becomes yeah the things that we choose to inspire us become super cool and i think that like brian i'd really like i'd really like us to do an entire thing about you know both your your time and experiences over in japan and specifically about these kind of bigger concepts that obviously are are incredibly impactful for you and and it would be it's fascinating i would love to hear more about that but but like eric said it is you know, we are coming to the end, so I just wanted to say thank you guys for, for doing this. And I think I'd like to come back and do this topic over and over and over again. You know, because sure. I, I don't think I don't think we're ever gonna run out of things to talk about. <laughs> Anytime, Dino. Cool. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in thirty seconds flat if you feel the heat around a corner. I do my head toss, check my nails, baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails, baby, how you feeling? Woo, child, tired of the bullshit, gone, dust your shoulders off, keep it moving, yes, Lord, trying to get some new shit in there, swimwear, going to the pool sheet. Come now, come dry your eyes, you know you a star, you can touch the sky. I know that it's hard, but you have to try. If you need advice, let me simplify If he don't love you anymore Just walk